Hey friends, welcome back to the Making Room on the Pew podcast. This is your host, Bailey Jo Welch-Pomerantz. I am so glad you're back with us. This is episode 30. Today on the show, we have my new friend, Suzanne. Suzanne writes over at The View from the Sidelines. She talks all about her own observations about the American church specifically, and she shares with us today her experience of walking through infertility. You may or may not know that this week um, that this show is coming out, April 18th through the 24th. 2021 is National Infertility Week. Um, So I really wanted to make sure to have this conversation with Suzanne so we all get a first person uh, perspective on infertility and what that looks like and what that feels like. Um, I think that we really either don't talk about it at all or we talk about it and we only talk about the really happy stories that ends in a baby. And Suzanne is here to tell us that sometimes that doesn't happen. She is in her late 30s and she tells us here in this conversation that unless God does something really wild, um, she and her husband are going to be a childless couple. And you know what? That's okay. And children don't make a family. People who love each other and animals who you love make a family. Um, But I wanted to make sure that we really highlight this because it is something that's so hard to talk about. Currently, 7.3 million Americans are facing infertility. Um, One in eight couples experience infertility and 25% of women um, experience a miscarriage, particularly with their first pregnancy. So these are big stats, but they aren't just stats. They are people. So whether you have an experience with infertility or miscarriage or pregnancy loss yourself, um, whether you know someone or love someone who has, or maybe you have no connection. Um, Whatever your connection or lack thereof of infertility, um, this is a show for you. Suzanne is really beautiful and brave in sharing her story with us. I am so honored that she chose to be here on the Making Room on the Pew podcast. Okay, Suzanne, welcome to the Making Room on the Pew podcast. I'm so glad to have you here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So for those people who are listening who maybe haven't connected with you before, can you tell everybody a little bit about you, whatever you'd like to share? Um, Yeah, my name's Suzanne. I have been married for, it'll be seven years next week. I have two dogs and I blog about, well, my blog is called View from the Sidelines and it's basically just my observations on the church. And one of my focuses, because this is, you know, my life is dealing with infertility and how infertility has affected my relationship with the church and how it feels and, and whatnot. 
Yeah, I think that's such an important topic to talk about. Um, like you and I were talking about before we hit record, nobody wants to talk about this. No denomination, no tradition of the church. Just it, it's a really hard topic. And a lot of people just don't know how to talk about it, especially if they don't have a connection to someone who has experienced infertility or had a miscarriage. Um, it is something that is so intimate and it can be scary to talk about. Yeah. And I've always found it interesting that it's such a taboo topic in the church, given the number of women in the Bible from Sarah to Rebecca to Rachel to Hannah, etc., who dealt with infertility. Um, and yet there's just this void that like, they just, they jump right to, here's the miracle baby and go on without talking about how hard that would have been on those women, especially given the cultural expectations back then for them to have children. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that it is more harmful than helpful that the church, um, really likes to tie up stories with a nice little bow and it's, it's kind of couched in that idea of like, just keep going. You'll get a kid. Even if you have to do IVF, even if you have to adopt, just, just keep going and you'll get a kid eventually. Yes. Yes. I do think that's very harmful. Like one of my pet peeves at this point is that any book I read on infertility always ends with a child. Almost nine times out of 10 it's biological. And then you get the one in 10 where it's adoption, but there's there's never an idea that sometimes the end result is no children and the where my husband and I are at unless something drastically changes we are going to be a childless couple Mm -hmm. um because I've I don't have the emotional reserve to go back into doing any treatments or testing for infertility um I I've and adoption just is not feasible with our life situation at the moment. And so it's just one of those, unless God does something drastic, we won't have children. And I think people need to know that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that especially in the church, but really America as a whole really values families mm-hmm. and it's it's, it's so hard. I've noticed in churches, even huge churches, it's like you're either a family or you're a quote young couple. And it's kind of like, well, so young couples cannot have kids and then empty nesters can just be a couple and not have kids. But in those years of like, you know, thirties, forties, where do those people like maybe you and your husband, where do you fall? Yeah, that's definitely something uh, I've noticed. Um, uh, Like we were later, we got married later in life. I was 31 when we we got married. So like we definitely like started immediately trying for kids. And of course the the question of what are you going to start your family as if you're not a family until you have a child um was a big question and then one thing like my husband and I did very early on is we just were open with anybody and everybody about the process like we told people yeah we're trying we're having difficulties we're starting to do testing and then of course just 
just mentioning that you're going to get testing, you get all kinds of different results because, you know, a lot of people would be like, well, don't you trust God's sovereignty? God's the one that opens and closes womb. And it's just like, yeah, I'm getting tested. Just like I get my eyes tested or you take your meds. Like there is like even judgment for just looking into it. Um, And then like when you, you know, I'm in my late thirties now, but like all women's functions for my age group are all centered around parenting. The talking is about parenting. And it's just like, there's no place for me and like and then you have people that tell me that like I they don't even want me to have an opinion on like children or schooling and it's like well, I don't have to have kids to know a bit about schooling giving given that my husband's a teacher so it's like I do have information on this but very very exclusionary if you don't fit the mold yeah what do you think would have been a more helpful response when you and your husband started talking about, um, yes, we're trying, we are getting some testing, instead of people saying, what about God's sovereignty? What a, you know, whatever else you got, what would have been a more helpful thing? Um, like initially people were pretty good. Like when we were very early on in the trying before we officially hit the infertility one year mark um and I think uh I think a lot of it would be just to be like oh I'm sorry what what can I do like my best friend was and is absolutely amazing in this like when we were doing all the testing and treatments like she lives in a different state and she at that time had two small kids and she would still make she'd like put them in her calendar and she would call me after the appointment and be like, what did the doctor say? What did you learn? Mm-hmm. And I thought that was amazing. Yeah. But most people, if I would tell them, yeah, I'm struggling with infertility, their first response is always to tell me about their sisters, college roommates, friends, sister, cousin, who, <laughs> right. who dealt with it, did yeah. X, Y, and Z, and now has eight kids. And I'm like okay, thank you for telling me someone else's story. Like, that's not helpful at all. Yeah, right. Um, Yeah, it sounds like a lot of not listening to what Mm -hmm. you're saying and just automatically jumping to, well, here's how we can fix it. Yeah, and in the, I mean, I like, I I tell people it's like, anything you think I should have tried, I've probably already researched and I've either done or ruled out. And it's like, because- because you don't dip your toe into infertility. You, you're either on the edge looking at it or you are full in the ocean of it. And so like, you know, temping and charting and, and timing and like all this stuff is just, that's just infertility 101. So people on the outside are like, oh, well, you should just try charting your cycle. And it's like, yeah, no, I've done that. I've been doing that for years yeah um yeah isn't it isn't it funny that no matter if it's something like this like infertility or a chronic illness or whatever it might be that when people start talking about it everyone around them is like what about this like they would have never thought about that before Mm -hmm. like it's not their life to be researching everything yeah like 
my husband will joke because it's like when I go into research mode, like he'll just like, okay, I'll I'll, I'll see you in a, in a couple of days when you yeah. come up for air because it's like I go, I like I was reading like medical journals on infertility trying to figure out what's going on because I I have unexplained infertility which is just like so much worse because it's like I don't even have a reason like I can't say oh I had blah 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 or this and um so it's just the I don't know I I can't I couldn't get pregnant and then when I could I couldn't stay pregnant because you know I've had I've had five very early miscarriages so I um I I suspect that there's something probably genetically wrong at this point um especially because you know I'm like I said I'm in my late 30s so my eggs are getting older um and so we just we just know no um and so yeah but most of the things people suggest are either very basic or just crazy wives tale and then of course (laughs) as as a Christian, it seems like there's a huge thing that the expectation is, well, if you can't have children naturally, well, then you're obligated to adopt. And like, I think adoption is beautiful. I applaud people that do it, but putting that on an infertile couple isn't going to be helpful to anyone because they need to be in the right place to do that not because it's their consolation prize. Yes, and I appreciate you saying that so much. I mean, not only is that sure, I'm sure um, not helpful to for you to hear, but mm-hmm. adoptees all around the world are hearing, well, you're the second choice. Yeah. And that's just, that's not the case. Well, and it's even worse when it's framed in the, well, just start adoption and you'll, then you'll have a kid of your own because that happens Ugh. to my aunt. And it's just like, no, you can't use kids that way. And it's like, yeah. if you're going to be adopt, adopt, they need to be your first choice and they, they yes. don't need to be a, a, oh, I'm using you and hopefully getting this in. Um, Cause, and that's, and that doesn't work people are like well it often works that way and it's like statistically no it really doesn't you just, just remember when stories. it does yes yes you just hear about those stories yeah a little bit more. yeah um do you do the Enneagram do you know anything about that I do a little bit and I I haven't tested but I've looked at that and I I, I think I'm very much a four wing five okay I was wondering because you were talking about being in research mode and that's a total five thing to do it's like the investigator that's mm-hmm. what that's what I identify as um I had mistyped myself as a four for years and the work I was doing just like wasn't helpful and finally yeah. I was like Oh, 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 because I'm actually a five. A five wing four. Instead yes. Of, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I want to talk a little bit about um, a post that you have on your blog called mm-hmm. Infertility in the Church. And in it, you talk about reproduction and having kids as a quote, golden cow. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's so true. And a lot of people don't think about it because they're able to have kids or right. they want kids. Um, 
and they just don't think about people who either are struggling with infertility or just don't want kids and how isolating that could be. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't realized like a message that I had internalized until someone told me it wasn't true, but like growing up, the message like got both explicitly and implicitly was that motherhood was my highest calling and that that was the goal I should be striving toward and so with that that means obviously you need to have children because that's how you achieve your life purpose and um when someone told me that that wasn't a woman's highest calling I was actually at a gym and I just started breaking down crying and quickly finished Mm -hmm. up my sets and left because that's awkward um but yeah you you look at how churches are set up whether small churches or mega churches they center around the quintessential american family of of four you know they they advertise their youth programs and their children's programs and vbs and you know you get your huge mother day sermons and the expectation is you will have kids and then when you add in like the culture war element that seems to be so prevalent in this day and age then the expectation is you not only have two kids you have as many kids as possible to help fight the culture war and it leaves those of us unable or unwilling um to have kids just pushed completely to the sidelines and told well you don't have a part because you can't fulfill this duty Yeah, yeah. I have seen a lot of um, particularly more conservative outlets talking Mm -hmm. a lot about that. Um, I want to say maybe not, maybe in the last couple of years. Um, I think it was the Gospel Coalition. Yeah, Kevin, Kevin D. Young at the Gospel Coalition wrote an article on how having children was uh, an important aspect of the culture war and I think it was titled yes. rethinking the culture war and the whole purpose was have as many kids as you can yes because that's how we're going to quote like win the world for Jesus yes yeah oh my gosh I remember when that came out and I saw it floating around Twitter and when I finally read it I was floored how does something like that get published even I mean now it seems ridiculous but even a couple of years ago like how how did someone think that was a a yeah you know I I saw red when I saw that and I I remember commenting over on the gospel coalition's Facebook page and I was like way to shove all infertile couples to the sidelines and like you you put them in the corner and and, and like my response and people were like well what do you think you're supposed to do and I'm like I, I think in the new testament the great commission is how we how we fulfill the mandate it's like yes I get in the old testament it, it was all about having children but ultimately the goal in the old testament of having children was to bring about the messiah well Jesus is here and now our way of of advancing the kingdom is not through biology it's through um the great commission and sharing the gospel and discipleship and it 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 doesn't have to be through familial ties it can be just reaching out to people and I think that's 
that's amazing that God like opened it up like that because Jesus had been born. And so that didn't have to be as important. And it's interesting to note that once you get to the New Testament, you don't hear about women's children. They, they stand on their own right. Like mm, we don't know yeah. if Mary and Martha had children or Phoebe or if Priscilla and Aquila had kids because that was no longer the important thing. It was, this is the work they're doing for the church. Wow. I had not thought about that juxtaposition of earlier in the Bible and then later in the Bible about how mm -hmm. we talk about kids. Oh, that's interesting. I'm going to have to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm wondering if you could let everybody know out there, people who maybe know somebody who is going through infertility or who just had a miscarriage, um, how can we love? I think obviously everyone's different um, and knowing your, your friend or your colleague or whoever you may know is helpful. But I think just holding space for them, being like, yeah. hey, I'm here, do you wanna talk? Do you wanna cry? Do you want me just to sit here silently? You know, just don't try to fix it. Don't give them platitudes. Just listen to whatever they may have to, to tell. And if there's someone that's really open, you know, maybe take it a step farther. Like if it is someone that's dealing with infertility, um, one thing that's very common in the infertility world is for for women to to test very early um so they're not surprised by their period so it's like you know if you know when that is be like bring over ice cream or something and just like lament with them you know because so much of infertility happens in isolation because it's not like you can walk into church every month and be like oh i'm not pregnant again yeah and like the first couple years um while I was doing with this like I would get my period and I would just sob and and I just I'm so thankful that my best friend was like so good of like checking in with me because she like kind of kept track of that stuff and she would be like hey how are you doing are you okay and that was that was wonderful and I mean obviously your relationship dynamic wouldn't always allow for that level of intimacy but you know just things let people know that you 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 want to hold space for them appropriate to your relationship level yeah yeah and I do I appreciate that you talked about it don't go running in to your colleague who is like you know the next cubicle over and being like did you get your period today? Like, yeah. let's, <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, yeah. Have some common sense, but it sounds like what's really helpful, no matter your relationship is just showing up. Yeah. Just showing up and being there. Yeah. Yeah. Show up, hold space and just, you know, let people be, don't, don't rush in with a success story. Um, like I tell people like in the infertility world, if we want to read success stories, we know where to find them you don't need to tell us them because often what we want is we just want someone to hear us and, and tell us that we're going to be okay. And sometimes, sometimes it's just telling them it's okay if you don't have kids, like that yes. is powerful. Um, because both in, and, and 
in the infertility world, there's a lot of pressure, you know, do the next treatment, try mm-hmm. one more cycle. But even there, there's a recognition that sometimes you just have to stop. And yeah. I think that's powerful too, is just give them permission to stop, but at their own time, like, you know, again, common sense, know the person, read the signals, just mostly just listen, be there yeah. and listen. If you could like wave a magic wand and make everybody understand something about infertility or um, experiences with miscarriage, what would you want to tell them? I want people to understand that it's way more common than they think. Um, It's one in eight couples um, will experience infertility. Um, I want them to understand that establishing who's responsible is neither helpful nor um useful and as far as conversations goes like obviously my husband and I both had tests done but it doesn't matter like who's who's the problem in this relationship and that everybody's story is going to be different what worked for your sister may not work for someone else just because there is a myriad of reasons that couples cannot um, conceive a child. Um, And then also I want people to understand counterintuitively that there is actually huge overlap between um, infertility and miscarriages because of what I talked about of we test early um, I mean, there are women I know in different groups I'm on that start testing it like a week out from their periods. Yeah. And what that means is we catch those chemical pregnancies, those, those pregnancies where a sperm is meant an egg, but for whatever reason doesn't fully implant. And so basically your only sign that that may have happened otherwise is you're a day or two late on your period. So what the general population may just shrug off as a late period in the infertility world that's recognized as a chemical pregnancy that is deeply grieved yeah yeah I really appreciate you talking about your experience because there are so many women who experience a miscarriage and infertility and are scared to talk about it because no one wants to talk about it. Even, I mean, even talking about it with a family member or a best friend, that's really vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important that you are kind of elevating this conversation and trying to take the shame out of it. Yeah. um, And I think there's been a lot of work done on that. Like I know a lot of celebrities have definitely been more open about miscarriages using their platform to talk about it. And, you know, I don't have a huge platform, but I can. And um, I've had five miscarriages all very early because, again, yeah. we, we catch them early. Um, and, you know, I think what a, a misconception about early miscarriages is that they don't hurt as bad. But it's like, oh, no, no. From the moment you see those two lines, you're in love with that child. Yeah. And, and telling someone, uh, well, at least you weren't too far along is a dagger and and frankly it makes my child feel unseen and and um 
like a betrayal, especially, you know, controversial from the infertility world, but like, I'm a very pro-life person and, you know, you can't be waiting and testing and hoping that a sperm meets an egg and then chuck it off. It's like, oh, well, it wasn't, you weren't that far along and not like undermine your, your position that life begins at conception. Um, so that's like, when I hear that, I just, I I see red and it's just like, no, I, I love my children. Like, I, I don't know gender. I, all I have of them is the sticks that I peed on. And and like, I know that's gross, but it's like, that's all I have. Um, and, um, I think people need to understand that, especially when you really want a child, those, I mean, everyone, I think everyone, um, whether they've dealt with it or not, if they haven't had a miscarriage, it's like with infertility or not had a miscarriage, it's like they've lost a child and it doesn't matter that they never held that child in their arms. They lost a child. And, and I think that should be recognized. And, um, and it doesn't matter how far along you were. So, yeah. Yeah. And those early miscarriages, I, I have heard that same thing of, you know, you, you weren't that far along. It's okay. But I think what some people maybe just don't realize is that not only is it already like the person going through the miscarriage already feels like their child is unseen. Also, those early miscarriages don't get a birth certificate or a death certificate, like some stillborns do. And so it really is just nothing. Like the child never existed. And that's really painful. That's a lot of grief. Yeah. um, I've, I've talked about a bit that like, I don't necessarily want a funeral per se, but I wish there was some kind of cathartic ceremony that was socially acceptable for um parents to do with miscarriages like I know I know like people when they have a stillborn child will often have a funeral because you know they they physically have something to to bury but I don't know what that what that'll be um but I wish there was something um, like um, my husband and I have named all five of our kids and that, you know, like, like a very personal detail to us, those names, but that's something we're done. And like, I have a tattoo representing each of my kids because like I needed something physical and I needed my body transformed some way. And that that's a tattoo is how I could do that to honor my children. Yeah. That's beautiful. I I love that. Just to have to have something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, as we wrap up here, is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to say? Um, I guess I want to say to any church leaders or or whoever might be listening, um, just know that. Mother's Day is very hard. Mother's Day and Father's yeah. Day is very hard for infertile couples and like maybe try to find ways. Like I don't want to like disrespect mothers and fathers, but like 
realize that most often your infertile couples probably won't show up on that day because it's just too hard. And I think maybe something better to do is I know the Sunday before Mother's Day is Braved Mother's Day. Mm -hmm. That could be a day to recognize your, your couples that have had miscarriages and your couples that desperately want to be parents and aren't because they you're still grieving the loss of a dream you're dreaming the loss of that potential child you thought you would have um and that is also very hard and so it's like they may not be parents technically but they're grieving the loss of that so I think that would very much fit in with with bereaved mother's day as well and I think also find find those couples in your church that may be dealing with that and and ask them to share what they need don't just assume um and try to make space for them because they may just be so it's such a shameful thing that few people want to talk about they may just be wanting to hide in the shadows because they don't feel like there's space for them but I think if if church leaders are maybe proactive and like talking about it from the pulpit um talking about hannah and not just oh she got her miracle child but talking about the grief that she would have been enduring um and not just in the cultural context of her entire worth is tied up in having children but just as a woman wanting a child Yes, she was suffering too and so make that space so people feel free to come into uh, come into it yeah yeah I love that okay would you like to tell everybody where they can find you yes they can find me on twitter at viewlines or on my blog at view from the sidelines much for joining me today on this episode of the making room on the pew podcast as always you can find me on social media at bailey joe welch and online at my website bailey joe welch pomerantz.com and yes i will link that in the show notes because i know pomerantz can get a little tricky to spell if you enjoyed this episode don't forget to subscribe so you are notified every time a new episode comes out And if you wouldn't mind taking just a few seconds to rate and review on iTunes, it would really mean a lot to me. Doing those few easy things allows us to get the podcast in front of more people so we can all continue to make room on the pew. Until next time, this has been Making Room on the Pew.